0: What's up, you guys? I'm Anya. And I'm Kylie. And this is Two Degrees Hotter, the postgrad podcast where we get real about life after college every Tuesday. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Two Degrees Hotter.
1: Hello, everyone. Happy Tuesday.
0: We have a pretty short episode for you today because if you are in the United States, you might be aware today is election day. So we want to encourage you to spend your time going out to vote instead of consuming our content today.
1: Yes. So we personally think that voting is really important to, you know, our entire democracy and our system. And we 100% encourage you to go out and voice your opinion and get your opinion out there via the ballot. But if you're still on the fence, not sure if you're going to vote, then we each researched a woman who was a big, what's like the word I'm looking for? A trailblazer. Is what yes. I'm looking for? So we researched two women that were trailblazers in the women's suffrage movement to remind you guys that, you know, as women, most of our audience is women. If you're a man, you can ignore this. But as women, we, we didn't always have the right to vote. And so the fact that we have this right now, we really should be exercising it. So we thought we would talk about these really powerful trailblazing women to remind you guys of how important it is to
0: vote. And hopefully this is a short and sweet enough episode that you are just listening to it on your way to the poll or, you know, standing in line or maybe you voted early. So, yeah, Uh, we're going to skip our normal segments and just get right into the episode topic. So the woman that I chose to talk about is uh, Lucy Stone. And a lot of this information is via womenshistory.org, so we can link this in the show notes if you're interested in learning more about her. But I realized when I was doing some research that a lot of prominent early suffragists whose names you'd probably recognize were actually pretty problematic in their views, uh, mostly on inclusivity and race and kind of the best way to get there and who got to go first, which is something I didn't really know much about, but definitely contributes to our second short story that Kylie's going to tell, but back to Lucy Stone. So a leading suffragist and abolitionist, Lucy Stone dedicated her life to battling inequality on all fronts. She was the first Massachusetts woman to earn a college degree, and she defied gender norms when she famously wrote marriage vows to reflect her egalitarian beliefs and refused to take her husband's last name, Ooh, queen. queen. So she was born on August 13th, 1818 in rural Massachusetts, and throughout her life, she was really frustrated by the inequality. Um, that encouraged her brothers to attend college while discouraging women from becoming educated. So at age 16, she worked as a teacher, saving her money so she could attend college. And she ended up going to Oberlin College in Verm- in Ohio. I don't know why I was going to say Vermont, um, but. When she graduated in 1847, she declined the quote honor of writing a commencement speech that would be read by a man. So she graduated, I'm assuming, close to or at the top of her class, given that she was offered to write a commencement speech, but they weren't going to let her read it. So that gives you a sense for the times. When she graduated, her career prospects seemed pretty dim since very few professions were open to women at the time. So she wrote and delivered abolitionist speeches for the American Anti-Slavery Society while also becoming active in women's rights. Um, and in 1850, which is two years after the Seneca Falls Women's Rights Convention, which especially if you're not from the U.S., you might not know, that was like a very prominent, the initial kind of women's rights kickoff conversation meeting, as I understand. Mm-hmm. Um, so she organized the first national women's rights convention in Worcester, Massachusetts. Wanted to call Woo-hoo. call out Worcester there. <laughs> we love the Woo. <laughs> Um, And her speech there was reprinted in the international press. So for five years, she traveled throughout the US and Canada on the lecture circuit and she continued to attend annual women's rights conventions and presided over the seventh one. In 1868, Stone broke with suffragists Elizabeth Cady Stanton, Susan B. Anthony. Those are kind of the more, I guess, well-known suffragists that I was researching as well. So she kind of broke ties with them over the passage of the 14th and 15th Amendment to the Constitution, which granted voting rights to black men, but not to women. So Stone was willing to accept this measure for her abolitionist goals while continuing to work for women's suffrage, while I think uh, the other suffragists really saw this as kind of like a loss for their their mission. So in 1879, Stone registered to vote in Massachusetts since the state allowed women's suffrage in some local elections, but she was removed from the rolls because she did not use her husband's surname. So I just thought that was like a crazy ending to this story. The fact that like, you know, she did enough campaigning in her home state and everything to allow women's suffrage in local elections but she still couldn't vote because she didn't have her husband's last name. So, just crazy. Um I hope that provides some perspective and I'm excited to hear the story that Kylie researched.
1: Yes. So, like we said, we wanted to make sure we highlighted a woman of color who was prominent in the women's suffrage movement to remind us that, you know, I think our education does a particularly poor job of just glossing over the 19th Amendment and being like, "Woohoo, women had the right to vote," but like Only white women had the right to vote, and there was still so much work to be done both at the time of the suffrage movement and then thereafter to ensure that all women got that right. So I wanted to highlight Ida B. Wells, who was a journalist, a suffragist, and a progressive activist in the late 1800s and early 1900s. So she was born into slavery during the Civil War. Once the war ended, her parents became politically active in Reconstruction era politics, and her parents instilled into her the importance of education and she worked as a teacher after attending college. I believe she went to Rust College and wrote for local newspapers and actually she started a budding career as a journalist after The lynching of one of her friends. She turned her attention to white mob violence and she became skeptical about the reasons. Black men were lynched and set out to investigate several cases and published her findings in a pamphlet and wrote several columns in local newspapers. Her expose about an 1892 lynching enraged locals who burned her press and drove her from Memphis, Tennessee where she was living at the time. After a few months, the threats became so bad, she was forced to move to Chicago. She openly confronted white women in the suffrage movement who ignored lynching and ignored the white mob violence that was very clearly a prominent issue at the time. Uh, And because of her stance, she was often ridiculed and ostracized from women's suffrage organizations in the US, which is kind of what I was alluding to at the beginning, how even within the suffrage movement, there was... A lot of discrimination and segregation, if that's the right word to use. But nevertheless, she remained active in the women's right movement. In eight, in, sorry, in 1913, she was one of the founding members of the NAACP. I saw on, um, history.com it named her as one of the founding members, but on women'shistory.org it said that she was never officially named, even though she was in Niagara Falls where they formed. The NAACP. So, you know, maybe do your own research, or maybe that's just one of those things in history that is a bit unclear. She also co founded the Alpha Suffrage Club in Chicago, which was the first African American suffrage organization that aimed at educating Black women about civics and advocated for electing Black political officials. As Anya noted, a lot of Black women faced discrimination in the suffrage movement itself, and what I think I found so inspiring. About Ida's story is that she really was a voice for this discrimination and she didn't like just sit back and let it happen, if that makes sense. So, one of the websites talked about how her and other black suffragists tried to join a national suffrage march that was led by Alice Paul and Alice Paul instructed them to walk at the back end of the crowd. And Wells responded by saying, either I go with you or not at all. So, yeah, that's just a little bit about. Ida definitely with both of these women we highly encourage looking into them even more and other prominent suffragists because I think it's really important to know how we got to where we are today
0: And if that doesn't inspire you guys to go out and vote if you were on the fence, I don't know what will. For real. Um, I think, you know, judging by the content that we tend to put out on this podcast and the opinions that we are decently (laughs) vocal about, um, you can probably guess who we're voting for. I don't think it's a secret anymore. (laughs) So if you are on the fence, we definitely encourage you to consider voting for Joe Biden. Uh, We really think he is the best way forward for this country. And no matter who you vote for, just know where your right to vote came from and be grateful that we have a democracy that allows us to voice our opinion like we can. For sure. Yes.
1: But vote for Joe.
0: (laughs) Please. All right. That concludes this short and sweet episode of Two Degrees Hotter. And again, if you're in the US, please, please, please go out and vote. It is so important. And we will be back next week with a more regular episode. (laughs) Yeah. A normal, regularly scheduled programming. (laughs) So go vote and we'll see you guys next week. Yes. See you next week.